Nixon Guild Law presents Legally Femtech, hosted by Bethany Corbin. Bethany is a healthcare innovation attorney who works with new and innovative health tech companies that are revolutionizing women's healthcare and improving women's lives. In this podcast, Bethany discusses the practical, legal, and ethical aspects of femtech with the industry's most important voices. This podcast is not intended as legal advice and is not an endorsement of any product or company. Now, here's your host. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Legally Femtech. In this episode, I am really excited to talk about market strategies for femtech startup companies, and in particular, how femtech companies can build direct-to-consumer models, the benefits of this model, and how to really grow and scale early startup companies. So it's going to be a great discussion, and joining me today is Sylvia Ken. Sylvia is co-founder and CEO at Mira, which is the first FDA and CE compliant comprehensive women's health monitoring platform with 99% accuracy in clinical trials. Mira tracks cycles, predicts ovulation, monitors fertility health, measures ovarian reserve, and detects hormone imbalances at home using hospital-level technology within a palm-sized device. Mira also won the Best Startup of CES 2018 by Tom's Guide and was a finalist company of the 2018 Tech Crunch Disrupt SF Battlefield. Mira uses a direct-to-consumer model for sales, which really makes Sylvia the perfect guest for this topic. So welcome, Sylvia. Thank you so much, Bethany. I'm really happy to be here. So happy to have you. So tell us a bit more about your background and how you first got the idea for Mira. Sure. So I started Mira based on my personal experience and my friend's experience. My background was a combination of engineering and the business. I had a master in bioengineering from Columbia University, and then I did MBA from Cornell. And after that, I was the business director in a Fortune 500 life science company. And I focused so much on my career and we never thought about to start a family. And I had many girlfriends and they're just like me. And the people, you know, we just like to delay maternal age and don't want to think about this topic. A few years ago, many of us have already passed like a 30 or even 35 years old. And we start to think about, okay, it's a time to have a baby. And then we realize it's, it's actually a pretty difficult and stressful journey. You know, many people suffer through infertility and the even worse, sometimes the, something called the unexplained infertility, which means, you know, you don't really been diagnosed with any issue during your fertility journey, but the doctor will just tell you you're just unlucky. That's why you can't get pregnant. And this means like, you know, something's definitely wrong, but you don't know what action you can take. And then uh, many people will have to go through IVF or even IUI. And that cycle is cost a lot. Most of those cycles are out of pocket. There's no insurance coverage. And also you have to inject tons of hormones into your body and multiple times. If you just look at those needles, like a whole bunch of needles, you have to do those injections by yourself. That's already a pretty scary process. And this doesn't even mention that the success rate for IVF is only about 30% per cycle. So that means it's a lot of emotional stress and the cost and also you know, it's, it's not something great for your body as well. So by looking at all this, and then I was thinking that, you know, does really everyone have to go through IVF process? Or there, there could be something because, you know, our body works like a whole thing. Maybe you're just being too stressed out or you just, just need to change your lifestyle or you just don't know your ovulation 
well enough, right? So is there any information we could get a better access so we can have a better control? We can get pregnant or reach our fertility goal by that way so we don't really have to go through the painful IVF or IUI process. And I look at the products on the market and I found that most of them are pretty trivial. It only tells you if you're ovulating or not ovulating. And this doesn't even consider into the personal variability. Women has, they have a huge personal variability. You know, my ovulation day doesn't mean it will be the same as yours, even we have the same cycle length. And our hormone range is totally different too. And plus our body works as a whole thing. So we should be really be able to, you know, look into multiple hormones together and their relationship and all also, how those instincts are related to your lifestyle or things like that. And uh, there's really no tool on the market to help us to do that. So that's where the idea of Mira started. We're thinking that it's possible to shrink the lab equipment into something really small and it's affordable and it's easy to understand with data interpretation and but with the lab accuracy. You know, we will test multiple hormones. We don't test just once. We test for a curve, for your trend. And we can also, you know, use the data and tell you what is the action you need to take, you know, what can you really do to reach your fertility goal. So maybe this can help a whole bunch of people to avoid or to not go through those painful IUI or IVF process. And so then we started Mira, and now we test the multiple hormones, we test the LH estrogen uh, progesterone, and we're launching FSH as well. And soon will be HCG. So we're testing all the major hormones for women. And we test at home and it's very easy to use. And our app tells the, you know, people what to do with that. And with this, the, uh, this tool, we already helped more than, you know, 30,000 women got pregnant. And we have, you know, a whole bunch of users globally. Wow. That is impressive that you've already helped 30,000 people. When did you first launch Mira? I mean, to help that many people, it seems like you must have been in existence for a really long time. But just from conversations we have, I actually know that's not the case. Correct. So we launched the product in 2018. So about the mid of 2018. And, you know, that was the first time the product went to market. But really, the sales started to pick up in, you know, 2019 and a little bit, you know, a little bit later time. You've accomplished so much already. It's just it's very inspiring because I think this is a much needed area for women's health innovation. So I want to know a bit more, right? You said that you launched Mira in 2018. Sales really started to pick up in 2019. What was that launch process like? And were there any challenges that you faced in getting Mira off the ground? Sure. So the launch process was a lot of trial and error. So it was the first time I, I was managing a direct-to-consumer product. But we were able to run a lot of trial and error process and we tested a lot of different things. And there's a, a huge amount of detail <laughs> to be addressed. So actually, it was much harder than we thought. Almost everything in the startup companies, it will turn out to be a little bit harder than you know what you thought when you were planning for that. So during the launch process, there are a lot of things to be prepared. And just for the, we had that, you know, the product, it was already working. So that's so totally fine. But however, after that, there's packaging design and there's a marketing message, there's website design, 
And there's a lot of, you know, when you launch the product, you need to go to a certain platform. Maybe you work with influencer. You've got to get your ads going, you know, to get people to know. And there's some PR activity or some events you need to participate. So there's a whole bunch of commercial related activities, even after you think technically the product is already ready. It's already been manufactured. So that took a while. And also then after that was, it's really about the, you know, the marketing strategy and a lot of trial and error testing as well. It's really difficult to see exactly, you know, which market channel or, you know, what exactly, you know, what activity you just have to do in order for the product to be successful. But our experience is that you first need to have some products that really have the, uh, has a product market fee. You know, the pro- if the customer doesn't need that product, then whatever marketing you're doing, it's a losing battle eventually. You're not going to be profitable. And the second thing is every product has its own selling channel or like a best strategy to go in terms of marketing. So you never know about that. No consulting company can tell you. You can't really, you know, study certain books and you will or courses, you will know what to do. So you just have to do this based on your intuition. You test and you test with small scales, which is affordable. And also you have to iterate pretty quickly. If you say things don't work or partially work, then try to expand on the part that's working and try to not continue to do things that doesn't work just have to you know respond really quickly and be nimble and be able to continue test and test and test again so that's how we launched the mira yeah that's very important advice and as you were talking about right mira has a direct to consumer model as opposed to some of the other marketing strategies out there like a business to business marketing strategy so what made you decide to go with a direct to consumer marketing strategy Sure. I I think that mainly depends on the product type. So when we first developed the product, we position that as the directed to consumer product. Because as we said, you know, I try to, the goal with Mira was try to give a woman more power, more data or understanding of their own body. So they will know you know, what to do and with their cycle and basically have a better experience in the trying to conceive journey. Also, the hormones we're testing, we did a lot of market research and we believe our consumers do have the knowledge to appreciate that. And, uh, you know, for the, you know, hormone testing or ovulation testing, those products have been on the market for a while. So the customers are kind of used to, you know, test for ovulation by themselves at home. So that's quite important. If you want to launch something for directly to consumer, don't try to go super complicated one or even I would say super or excessively innovative ones that really have a, a very high educational cost and it might take long time for the product to pick up. So for ours, I think the concept is already on the market and it's well received. And what we're doing is to make it better because we know during this process, there's a pain in there. So existing tests are not comprehensive. They're not accurate. It doesn't really help you to design your plan or build some action. It's more like a just one time decision, yes or no. And there's definitely much more than that. So that's where we go from that part. And based on, you know, the testing trial and error things I, I meant before. And we also, during that process, did a lot of consumer research or user research too. And the research we were done were mostly like very practical. So we basically just launched the product or, you know, do certain discount or, you know, change the copy of the website, see how that conversion rate is. 
I think that's much useful than you hire a user research firm to tell you, oh, here's what the users are saying. What they're saying and what they're doing can be quite different. It's usually actually very different. Usually it's very different. So yeah, so that's how we go. And a benefit of uh, directly to consumer marketing is that it picks up really quickly. So I know there's the you know, B2B channel or the industry has its own benefits or you know, pros and cons as well. But compared to that, we, based on our experience, we think that for B2C, if you really find the product market fit and uh, you can just scale up your ads and scale up whatever other channel you're investing and you can pick up super super quickly because all you need to do is just scale up on the digital marketing at a very early stage and that doesn't require a extensive sales sales team you don't have to hire people here people are quite expensive here for startup company so it's a very good model for small, like initial stage startup company. When you don't have too much money to invest or you're not sure this is the right way or not. And you can just do relatively small investment and direct investment on the acquisition from a digital marketing. And you can see how customers are responding to your product. That's so great. And yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of the benefits that you you just mentioned about D2C marketing. I think that's fantastic too. And I, I love that it's worked out for Mira. Are there any types of companies in particular that you think about that do exceptionally well with a D2C marketing strategy? Yeah, I think that depends on the brand positioning and what solution you're trying to give to a customer. In general, you know, as I said, I think, you know, for direct to consumer, you do want to have a brand message. And this brand message should link to what the pain point the consumers have. Right. And you do want to make sure, you know, it's really it's consumers are really pulling for that product. They already been educated and they found that there's the uh, pain point and they just need some help with that. At least starting from something like this, but not something maybe super innovative, but still very early stage and general consumers have no idea that even existed. And, you know, and go from there. And then you will see that the uh Basically, that will, you know, reduce your cost for the initial acquisition. And you can, basically, you can get some uh, very quick customer feedback and the market feedback from that. And other kinds of, uh, or summary, or like a lesson learned that we have for about directly to consumer, which company are, are better to go, is the marketplace. I think consumers like to purchase, you know, small stuff or, you know, even more, like a, like a whole bunch of things. When, when you direct the traffic to your website, you know, consumer come to your website, they're usually trying to find a solution, right? So, for example, let's say we have an infertility problem. What I'm really looking for is to have a baby. I'm not looking for a test result. It's the same thing for almost every consumer product. And they're just convinced that your product could help them to solve the problem, could give them a solution. That's why they're buying your product. And that also means that if you, as a successful consumer brand, if your business model is really trying to target a solution, you know, you can really solve their problem, like an ecosystem of a whole bunch of products together. It's really being just the one product where I'm, for example, I'm selling one test machine and I don't think a consumer is going to go crazy about that. But if you say, oh, you're doing this test, but you're also telling them what to do, or you provide them a even consultation or some doctor suggestion or can connect them with doctor, can reduce the cost of our IVF, whatsoever, you know, and then eventually you, they come to your place and they're, journey become easier, their experience is better, and they achieve their goal. That's what they want. And those kind of company are pretty good candidate for a direct-to-consumer model. 
Very helpful. I really like that explanation for kind of which companies might benefit the most from this type of model. So whenever you have a direct-to-consumer business model, what are some typical marketing strategies that you see used in this space? So for example, you know, are these kind of companies mainly advertising their products on social media? Or how do you actually reach your target consumers? Sure, sure. That's a very good question. And that also depends on the testing. So what I learned is that even it's a similar directly to consumer model, if the product is a little bit different or customer base a little bit different, you have to test what's really working well for you. And the test tool, as I suggested, is you can go from digital marketing. That has been going quite well for us. So, you know, we definitely acquire customer from uh, paid ads and we are on social media. We build our social media account and we also work with influencers. We have PR activities and so, you know, customers knows what we're doing and we also participate on events. And in addition to that, we give customer a lot of free perks. Like we host the webinars almost every month and those webinars, we invited the IVF doctors or like, you know, professional fertility consultants whatsoever. So it's it's not people from our company. It's more like, a, you know, industry experts. And that talks about the topics customer really concerned. So there's many ways you have you can reach your customer. So, you know, what I believe is that, okay, I just do A channel, B channel, and my sales going to pick up. You have to reach a critical mass, kind of like that. So many things have to work together. Maybe your paid ads is trying to give you some traffic and people start to purchase your product. And then you have some customer base and they start to talk about you and they become a word of mouth. And then this influencer suddenly, you know, they saw and the influencer reminds them to purchase. And, uh, you know, that's how the conversion happened. So, you know, many channels have to play together. So that means, you know, you want to reach a significant volume of sales and you really have to have multiple angle, multiple channel to target this customer and try to impact them. Basically, where the customers are at and you should be at. This answer might be difficult for some early stage founders because the funding can be, you know, limited and you have to prioritize. So the answer really comes back to be like, you just have to test, you know, use small budget and try your testing and you will say somewhere will start to work and invest that. And then when you grow a little bit bigger, you have a little bit, you know, extra bound to invest in other stuff and try to do those too. So, you know, you just have to become the more like a, you know, lifestyle brand for your customer. And it sounds like from what you're saying, right, that. You have to kind of prioritize and stage it. You're not going to be able to do all types of advertising at once. You're not going to be able to, you know, maximize your presence on all of these channels at the same time with the limited funding that you have. So it, it sounds like prioritization here is really going to be key for starting to get your name out there to the consumers. Correct. And given that, you know, what are some of the roadblocks or the barriers that you have encountered with Mira's direct-to-consumer market strategy? Have there just been, you know, some common ones that you've encountered that you see other femtech founders encountering or any type of, you know, unique ones that you've seen? Yeah, so launching the product and even developing the product will have a lot of roadblocks and the barriers. In terms of marketing, I think one major test that we have done was like, eventually maybe which channel gonna drive 
for how much revenue and how to eventually balance those. There's no firm answer again for this. It's like you have to test and then see how the brand is going to evolve. Because, for example, at the beginning, you can do paid ads and your sales will pick up very quickly because you don't have any baseline. It's very easy to reach, like, say, 500% growth because that baseline is very small. But when you know the sales got to a certain stage and you may want to invest more in your content team you know, do seo basically trying to drive more brand presence brand awareness and organic traffic this is not gonna may not generate immediate results but it's more like something you have to do in order to grow for longer term otherwise you know with only if every dollar of sales has to be from a paid it's, there's only that far you could go so you know things like this takes time to figure out sometimes you find that you're over adjusting sometimes you're under adjusting and it's difficult to find the exactly balance and also that goes together with how the company evolves so as a directly to consumer company at least from my observation, I feel like many of the existing directly to consumer company lack of product pipeline. So it's a really good concept. You know, when the when the founders started and say, hey, I just have this really cool thing. I went on Indiegogo and I, everyone loves that. So it's crazy. It's like very new, very super nice, super cool. And then so what, right? So maybe the product did pick up. And then after that, so you continue to sell that and you find that this can only go this far. And then what after that? So I feel like a lot of direct-to-consumer companies have this kind of issue. Obviously, there are people figured out, you know, some company eventually become a marketplace, as we mentioned before, start to sell products that's around uh, this core product, and they have an ecosystem, and they can tell the story, and sometimes that strategy works. But some other times, the if the product itself can have some extension in the product line, like it, basically it has some expandability, I think that will be really nice as well. And I know, you know, many companies are trying to do that for, you know, directly to consumer company. But I see that as a bad barrier for, you know, if you see the outcome, some of them are trying, but not really getting the best results. So I think I see that one's more like a little bit problem for many D2C companies. Absolutely. And when should a femtech company that's, you know, kind of ramping up really start to invest in a product marketing team? And what are the benefits of having that team? I think the best time is like when your product's about to be ready. So for us, because we're a medical device company, you have to invest upfront about product development, R&D, even FDA registration. So those takes time too. So, you know, I don't think at that time you really need the product marketing team. But if your product is ready, or even your product might be outsourced, you know, licensed the product, and it's already the physical shape is already there, it's already functional, that's the time you should invest in this team. It's better to have that one. You know, once you have the shape, your definition or you know functional prototype, it's better to invest earlier than later. Product marketing team will first be more like researchers. So you can you can also outsource that. But you know, as I said, it can give you some good concept but they're not going to tell you exactly what to do. And even if they tell you don't follow that, it's definitely not going to be successful. So they will research on the market, do some user interview or product testing, user testing, and say how those features are you know, resonating with your potential customers. Maybe somewhere needs improvement or so on. And then later will become a more like a design content team. Basically make something as a commercial product. It's not just a you know, functional prototype. So as I said, they need a branding, they need a brand message, they need design, website, 
website packaging and all these things. And the last stage is the the product marketing team will start to expand. It will become user acquisition. User acquisition is very important because you know that's how you got sales, right? Sales is so important too. So you will have people who can you know acquire the users and you know test the different channel. Usually, different channels are different expertise. So you will need multiple people for that. Basically, product marketing team will continue to evolve. For my experience, you, you should have that when you have a functional prototype. Fantastic. So we've talked a lot about direct-to-consumer marketing. I want to switch now and talk a little bit just about growing and scaling a company. So a lot of times, right, thumbtack companies, even though they're early stage and they're starting out, they're thinking long-term about how they can grow and scale their business. So given that Mira has been in existence since about 2018, what tips or advice do you have for companies on how to think about growth and scaling? Grow and scale is very different from product launch. Even the expertise is different. So first, you need to be able to evolve your team. So when you say the uh, when you're ready to invest and you should invest in the team. Sometimes you always feel like, oh, maybe this can happen a little bit later. This is not really you know, impacting the revenue for tomorrow. However, for certain things, you have to invest upfront. So the team who can scale really means they, uh, the managers need to know how to really build the team and how to ex- grow and how to expand. And very soon, the company will start to have process, you know, will have the uh, organizational structure Basically, there's the, uh, a lot of other stuff coming back. It's not like an early stage startup. We just do whatever we think about. Let's give it a try. Don't worry about that. Just just try it and it may work out. It will be very soon different from this kind of mentality. Otherwise, the company will be a mess. Everyone is doing someone else's job and you know they don't know how to get the thing done or it's just going to take forever. So team needs to expand. The team will need different expertise. That's very important. And you should expect this to be different than your very initial you know, starting team, maybe your first engineer who are really testing and trying to build stuff, trying everything. And another thing is, as I mentioned, I think the product pipeline is quite important. In order to grow, you know, I'm a strong believer in innovation. So I think, you know, we always got, as a founder, always got a question and the investors or some partner going to ask you, say, hey, how do you make sure there's nobody going to copy you? And always tell them, I don't make sure there's nobody going to copy you. Because if you are so successful, there's definitely going to be people copying you. I know there's IP protection, but it only, you know, those can only protect up to a certain extent, right? It's not like you're going to ban people. IP's goal is not to ban people from doing the things you don't want them to do. It doesn't serve that purpose. So in order to really be long living on the market and to be able to grow, not just to pick up and eventually become a significant scale, you have to be sustainable and you have to be scalable. And I think the best way to do is really about innovate. So as I said before, when you design your product first and you should think about how this can be expandable. And for Mira, you know, what we do is like, you know, we are basically, you know, the core product, the test product is the uh, analyzer, is the testing device. And that can work with multiple test ones, different test ones. And it's a, it's a very existing, very mature technology we're using. 
just like you know blood testing in the lab and you say how many years blood testing in the lab has existed and there are so many hormones we can test too just same thing as blood testing in the lab see how many blood tests you know different biomarkers it can give you in a blood panel right so we have a really strong expandability and also at the same time we try to focus on customer solution also as i mentioned you know we provide customer automatically ask a question about after i got the test results what i should do so we give them advice or we give them a you know content courses free webinar you know all these things like that try to give them a better experience better journey so eventually they're going to reach their goal not just get the test results so you know those are things we're trying to do to you know for long term and also i think as a founder you will want to keep this mentality in your mind that everything is always changing it's always changing so even you think today you're pretty early grown to be pretty big or pretty great right now but next year can be totally different when you have a $20 million revenue versus $50 million revenue, the company can be completely different. The expertise you, the, you need from a team can be different. And also, you know, the people you're hiring or the company culture, you know, all these things you, you probably never thought about when you start a company. Like I probably never worry about, okay, what is my company's culture on the day one of Mira, right? Because there's no people in there. You know, I only worry about, hey, is this product going to work? If I can really develop it successfully, is customer going to accept? But very soon you start to worry about all these other things. That's how a company works. That's how a bigger organization works. That's great advice, Sylvia. It has been so wonderful having you on the podcast. And I think your insights are going to be really valuable for listeners and founders who want to take their companies to the next level. So thank you so much for being here today. Truly appreciate your time. No worries. It's really my pleasure. Thank you so much, Bethany, for having me. Thank you. And for all of our listeners, please tune in to the next episode. Thanks for listening to Legally Femtech with Bethany Corbin. To connect with Bethany, follow Femtech Lawyer on Twitter and Instagram. Visit her website at femtechlawyer.com and connect with her on LinkedIn. If you found value in this show, we'd really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time.